The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. This is Pastor Chris, and I get to share with you on Palm Sunday. I never imagined in a million years I'd be preaching to you from this place. In fact, last week, if you told me I'd be preaching to you from this place, I would have told you there was no way. I was watching coverage of what was happening in the Ukraine, knowing that we had a trip planned to the Ukraine-Poland border. We were working at the border. And I watched footage last week, and I thought, whoever these reporters are inside of Ukraine, those people are crazy. Well... So I'm preaching for you today, like those crazy reporters, with my buddy Eric Wally, from the city of Lviv. Why in the world would I end up in Lviv? We had a trip planned to the Poland border. We were going to Poland, not to Ukraine. But when we connected with the pastors that are gonna be working to help care for people all across this country, and they said, we'd like to meet Pastor Chris, and we'd like to meet him here, I couldn't say no. And so today we just shared an amazing lunch filled with tears and stories and laughter and also um, a lot of fear and trepidation about the future. But I can tell you this, every pastor came and just said, moving towards us, coming to us, I can't tell you how much it means to us. And to be an encouragement, which you have been, Ecclesia, to the pastors here, there's just nothing that could replace it. I, I can't even wrap my head around the level of devastation that they've faced over the last six weeks. And to be a part of their story is truly, truly a gift. I wanna read to you today from Mark chapter 11. And in Mark 11, Jesus is entering Jerusalem, a city that was also under occupation, like some of the small towns in the Ukraine. And Jesus comes into the city. He sent his disciples ahead to go find a donkey. He told them where it would be. He told them to take it. They took it. And they enter in what feels like a parade. It tells us in verse 8 that as they traveled, that people cast their cloaks onto the road and they spread out leafy branches, which they brought from the fields along the way. And people walked ahead of them and others followed them. And they were shouting, Hosanna, rescue us now, save us now. Hosanna, glory to God in the highest. In Ukrainian, they say, Slava Boho, glory to God. In fact, almost anything I'd say, they'd say, Slava Boho. I'd say Ecclesia has sent me to encourage you and to bring you gifts and to help you care for people. Slava Boho. And you know what? Today we experienced Palm Sunday. God's people were thrilled for Jesus to enter Jerusalem, but he never entered Jerusalem the way they expected. They wanted to overthrow their occupiers. They wanted to win their war. They wanted a Messiah that was going to come with military might. And Jesus didn't bring any of that. He came in on a freaking donkey. If you're a warrior, you're on a war horse. And today, we came in without a sword. In fact, our best plan right now that you're going to be a part of Ecclesia is that we're going to hire bakeries all across the Ukraine to bake the famous Pascha bread. 
Pascha literally means Easter, and it's a bread that Ukrainians will share together on Easter Sunday. You ought to be with us next week uh, at White Oak, because when we celebrate communion next week, we're going to do it with Pascha bread. And Pascha bread, it's decorated beautifully with crosses. It's a symbol of Easter. And you know what? People all across, across the Ukraine need bread. And right now we're going to deliver to them a special bread that's a reminder. One, that those that you love that have died, it's not the end of the story. That Jesus conquered death and the story of Easter still matters. And that two, you've got people across the globe that care for you and love you. And we're sending this bread as a gift to families all across the Ukraine because it matters. I'm going to tell you more next week about how we're doing it. I'm going to give you the chance maybe even to buy some Pascha bread that will help fund more Pascha bread to come to people. But we're going to eat bread and share it with Ukrainians in a way that says other people care about you deeply. And your trials that you're going through now are not eternal. And we're going to celebrate the beauty and the hope of the resurrection of Jesus. And so today we come in without a plan to help them win a war but with a way to say really clearly, we stand with you and we love you. Ecclesia, I never imagined living in a world that felt like we were making similar decisions to people that lived 100 years ago. If you've ever been to the Holy Land with me, there's so much that I love about that trip. There's a lot of things that are powerful, but one of the experiences that we share together is that on Friday, we go to the Holocaust Museum in Israel. They call it Yad Vashem, it's the Hall of Names. And sometimes people are a little frustrated with me because I don't give them very long at Yad Vashem. It's a massive museum. Literally, you could spend days there. And I give people one hour and I tell them it's for one reason. Pascal talks about the power of evil, right? And then when you stare into evil, you, you stare into it with a desire to change it. I, don't, I didn't want to come to the Ukraine after I saw the genocide that was taking place in Busha and other cities, I, I didn't want to, I definitely didn't want to be in Ukraine. I didn't want to stare into the evil that we've witnessed. Because there's a part of me that scares the effect it'll have on me. But we stare into it in hopes that we can change it. What I love about that Holocaust Museum is the middle of it. It's where I spend most of my time. It's a small section that's dedicated to the righteous among the nations, the righteous Gentiles. It's stories of people, people of faith, often of Christian faith, that risk their lives to save Jews. And I've, I've spent so much time in that museum and I've wondered, if I was alive in that time, who would I be? What would I have done? Because the, the reality was, most of the response to the Holocaust at that point and the persecution of Jews was largely indifference and apathy or a joining in of that persecution, of that racism that led to a massive genocide. I'd wondered hypothetically, like, how would I respond? In recent weeks, I've realized, Ecclesia, we're on the record as to how we'll respond to this genocide. And I want to be among those that are true friends and true Christian brothers. All of us know this is true. You know if you have a real friend when you go through a hard time because your real friends move towards you. Everybody else moves away. If things really hit the fan for you and things really get hard, you're lucky if you got one or two people or three people that they move towards you. And Ecclesia, I wanna be on the record historically as a church to be the righteous among the nations in this situation. And we're gonna to move towards our brothers and sisters so close to them in fact that we end up in the Ukraine 
we end up sharing a meal with a large group of pastors and hearing the stories. And this is what they're telling me. They're telling me uh, uh, stories about uh, young people. They're, they've all turned their churches into shelters. The seminary is a shelter. Uh, people are being cared for. They're being fed at the train stations. They're working and serving to care for people. They're telling me stories about a young 19-year-old couple that ended up in the church and spent almost a week without speaking. And finally, they, they, they began to try to coax them into talking about what they'd experienced, but they were so traumatized, they couldn't speak. They, they told me the story about one man that was clearly not from this area. He was from the east. No one had seen him around town, but he just became a drunk around Lviv. Drunk and passed out, constantly drinking. No one can figure out who he was or what his story was. And finally, they learned that he was from one of these areas outside of Kiev that had been occupied by Russians. They executed 50 people in his little town. And they chose not to execute him because they chose him to be the one who buried those 50 people in a mass grave. Of course this guy's gonna drink vodka until he can't, he's trying not to remember. There's, there's a torment. And in this time and place, we get the opportunity to simply be the church. I, I can't solve the war and I can't fix the problem and neither can you, but we're gonna stand here. We're gonna bring volunteers over. We're gonna serve. We're gonna work with our partners and friends, amazing churches, our friends at Operation Blessing. Uh, that are helping supply food through these churches all across Ukraine and at the border. I can't tell you everything about what that looks like. Our trip's not over yet. But I can tell you that we're going to be serving in the same way that uh, our dear friend Constantine was telling me stories. He was in Kiev at the beginning of the bombing. That's where they lived. He's moved. He's now here in Lviv. He's going back and forth. In fact, in order to go back and forth, uh, a friend said, how about we buy some of those armored trucks, right? Like the Brinks trucks that we pick up money with. He said, if you're going to deliver bread to Kiev, like, and food, you probably need one of these trucks. And they literally bought one from Germany, right? Who thinks to buy a Brinks truck to deliver bread? Like, that's to pick up money. But that's what they're doing. And they're doing it in an armored way so they can be safe. And they're going back and forth. And the stories he's telling me, right? They ended up pulling out of Kiev and finding a place to sleep one night that was getting shelled all around them. Um, everywhere, they, they, it, it was all around them, the explosions. And what were they telling their wives over text messages? Everything's fine here. He said, we're just laughing and telling jokes and playing poker, right? They were never playing poker. They were doing what they needed to do, hopefully for their wives not to worry about them. We've had a lot of the same going on on this trip. And together, they're gonna do their part. And I wanna invite you to join me and let's do our part. We can fund the bread. We can ship the wheat and the flour. We can help provide lodging and Warsaw and other places. And we're gonna do it in a big and beautiful way. Palm Sunday is about the kingdom of God being established in a place where the kingdom of earth was failing. And Ecclesia, that's Ukraine. And you know what? It's also Houston, Texas. So, as you hear a little bit more from the scripture about Palm Sunday, as you contemplate what your Holy Week will look like, I wanna suggest to you, Ecclesia, that this will be our best Easter ever. We're gonna lean in missionally. 
we're going to serve. We're going to celebrate the resurrected Lord in a way that tells all of us that our lives can be different and that our lives can matter. God, I thank you for my brothers and sisters. I thank you for what it means to be a part of Ecclesia. I thank you for my friends like Diego and Constantine, for pastors like Vladimir here that lead a network of churches that are serving beautifully and well. That for Vladimir, even when his house uh, was close to an area being shelled outside of Lviv, uh, he didn't quit, he didn't give up. When, when the noises got so loud that it literally blew the doors off of his house, literally. He's kept pressing on. And I thank you that we can come around him and support him now and encourage him in his faith and in his service. Lord, help us not to grow weary in doing good. Let Palm Sunday be not a historic day where we're reminded that the kingdom of God is better than the kingdom of man. Let it be a day that we participate in building it. Thank you for protecting us on this trip to Lviv. And any future trips that will bring us back to Ukraine and to Poland, we pray that as we serve, that we would serve fearlessly and courageously and that we would serve you well and generously. Thank you for the people of Ecclesia. Thank you for Holy Week. We pray this in your name, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. So my wife, uh, Lauren, and I had the great opportunity and privilege to be a part of that Holy Land pilgrimage uh, back in early 2019. Many of our group is here today. Jules and Kirby, and Edward and Amy, Mary and Duke. Um, just a wonderful time. But um, I can confirm that I was indeed frustrated with Chris. Um, an hour at Yad Vashem, the Holocaust Museum, was not nearly sufficient. It actually felt borderline disrespectful to have to rush through it in that way. Um, but I get his point that staring into that kind of darkness for that length of time, it, it can be disorienting. It can, it can be, in a sense, crippling because the enormity of the brokenness is just, it's so far beyond any individual capacity to comprehend, let alone solve. I had a very similar feeling earlier on in that same trip when we spent time with Palestinians in Nablus, which if you're not familiar with the region, uh, Nablus is situated in, in what's known as Area A. And Area A is the only in which Palestinians are offered any uh, form of, of self-governance, that, that they can work and, and, and live uh, and, and move somewhat freely. But these are areas that are effectively cut off, that Palestinians are cut off from the remainder of Israel and, and what uh, they understandably refer to as these occupied territories, believing that they have uh, equal, if not greater, rights to some of these, these areas. And so these, these are extremely high-density places, and they're confined behind just layers and layers of restrictions and armed checkpoints, barbed wire fences, very much uh, captivity. That is the, the feeling that is shared with us. But, but we there experienced just tremendous hospitality, beautiful hospitality. We had a chance to share uh, a great meal with uh, a Muslim sheikh, a, a local leader, and he shared with us his, his sense of the, the ongoing tensions and, and any hopes he had of, of resolution, a two-state solution. And his tone, uh, I found absolutely chilling. It was a tone of utter resignation that he could not imagine a lasting peace 
becoming a reality in his lifetime, in his children's lifetime, in his grandchildren's lifetimes. And these issues are so complex and the harms are so deep and layered and generational. How, where would healing even begin? What would that look like? And so I don't know about you, but I know for me, I will admit to having uh, throughout my life a severe skepticism of the, 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 the more jubilantly uh, charismatic, expressive corners of, of Christianity. And maybe it's something I envy in a way, honestly, if I'm being honest, the, the, that, that sense of unbridled joy and, and, and freedom, it cannot be contained. It's just bursting out, right? But I have to confess having you know, judged and still in some ways judging at times these, these seemingly permanent smiles. And I, I look and I, I think, y'all look crazy. Like, are, are you not paying attention? Because my heart tends toward the, the opposite extreme. And I, and I think it's flawed in its own way. I look at what our friends in, in Ukraine are experiencing and, and this displacement and the separation from families and uncertainty and grief upon grief. And then I look at the, the myriad crises facing the global human family, just global conflict and so much uh, injustice and inequity. And I find myself fighting against a sense of, of helplessness, of futility. So much seems so far beyond repair. How can we possibly be expected to cling to hope? But Chris reminds us this is nothing new. The words we spoke together earlier, Hosanna in the highest, it comes from these two Hebrew syllables, Yasha, Na, save us. Now. We cannot wait. Now. And so that sense of urgency is not new. The cries of rescue have not changed. We continue to call out because we cannot save ourselves from the brokenness of the world. We cannot save ourselves from one another. We cannot save ourselves from ourselves. And that is the story of Holy Week. It's this climax of God's redeeming narrative that before time itself was measured, God's intention was always to move toward us, that we would be reconciled, restored. And so I want to invite you to engage fully with God and in community this week, because I firmly believe, I contend that, that the days preceding our Easter celebration really do inform and transform how we will celebrate come Easter Sunday. And so on Monday, Thursday, we, we practice the humble service modeled to us by our Savior, and we wash feet. We follow in the footsteps of Jesus, who would readily kneel down and wash the feet of a Ukrainian refugee and the feet of a Russian soldier, and even the feet of the man, the, the, the disciple, the friend, who was mere moments away from betraying him. And so this may be a practice that's unfamiliar to you. It may be one that, that you find personally off-putting. I get it. It's not. We're not going to make you. But come and participate however you feel comfortable. And I promise if you choose to do so, you will find it an extraordinarily moving, transformative experience. And then on Good Friday, we do. We stare into the darkness. We stare into the darkness of the world. We stare into the darkness of our own hearts because we have to. We have to wrestle 
with our part in the sin and the brokenness that, that Jesus took on himself, that chose to bear in totality in this ultimate cosmic act of love and forgiveness. And I'm, I'm so proud of the work that our team has, has done in putting together a time of music and uh, arts and video pieces and performance and prayer uh, as we enter in to the weights of that day, all that seems beyond repair or at least beyond human repair. And then we wait. Holy Saturday, we wait. It's this day between the disillusionment, the hopelessness, the mourning, the, with the you, mourning of Good Friday and the exaltation of Easter Sunday. And Holy Saturday, I truly believe that it is the day on the Christian calendar that most uh, exemplifies our call, our shared calling as followers of Jesus, the long waiting, the long in between, because we live in a world of profound brokenness, and we live in a world of profound beauty. We live on Friday, we live on Sunday, we don't get to choose between them. It's the new creation, it's the resurrection that is here and also not yet. And I get it. That's a place that, that many of us are, are uncomfortable dwelling in, that kind of tension. But that's the call. That is the, the marching orders. And that's why Chris said we will continue to move towards, in Ukraine, in, in Venezuela, in, in communities lacking clean water resources, in the streets of Houston and elsewhere, not because we think that we have some great solution, but because we know that God does. And God calls the body of Christ to be a part of that ongoing work, to lean into that tension. And so after Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, the traveling party rests for the night in a nearby home. And the story in Mark goes on this way, starting in verse 12. It says, the next morning when they departed Bethany and were traveling back to the city, Jesus was hungry. And off into the distance, he saw a fig tree fully leafed out so he headed toward it to see if it might have any ripe fruit. But when he reached it, he found only leaves because the fig season had not come yet. And as the disciples listened, Jesus pronounced a curse on the tree. He said, no one will ever eat fruit from your branches again. So leafed out would have implied a tree in a stage with ripe fruits. This tree looks as though it ought to have fruits, but it didn't. This is Jesus' way of, of calling our attention toward the, the outward appearances that don't necessarily correlate with fruitfulness. And it's important that this passage is immediately followed by this episode where Jesus uh, goes into the, the temple in Jerusalem and he turns over the tables of the money changers, all those that were uh, profiteering and exploiting others in the house of worship. And these stories are linked. The message can hardly be clearer. Do you merely look the parts or are you taking parts? And later that day, they pass by that same fig tree only to find it withered and dead. And so in the face of darkness, we don't look away. In the face of injustice, we move toward. We don't grow hardened. We don't grow apathetic or indifferent. 
We learn to live well within the tension because that is the call. And so may we, Ecclesia, not be a church. We look really great from the outside, only to draw near and find that there's no fruit. And that will be the kind of community that will wither and die like this fig tree. But we also don't live fully on Friday because resurrection is always pulling us towards Sunday. Resurrection is complete and it is being completed. It is agonizingly far away and also at the same time tantalizingly close. And so we endure and we cling to hope and we believe, we trust in the promise of Easter dawn. And that's what we'll do this week. We'll reflect and we'll mourn and we'll wait. And you better believe we will celebrate. I hope that you're already making plans to join with us at White Oak and you can stick around after communion and hear more about some specific details and and some invitations. And we hope you'll do that. But we will rejoice because there is still work to do and we know that God is not done. Slava Boho, right? Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ecclesiahouston.org.